we can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the, the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort it humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. In today's episode is a new format I'm trying out. We're doing a deep dive on the 1987 NCAA tournament. When I first started out with this idea, I wanted to hit on several NCAA tournaments, 1987 being the first, 1991, 94, and then 01. Those are some of my favorites. But as I dug into 1987, I realized that this alone is an episode. And honestly, it's probably a documentary. I know there's been documentaries that have hit on this, NCAA championships, but man, there were so many storylines going on. So today I'm just going to dive into 1987, the NCAA championships and all the storylines going on with it. I think the first thing that comes to mind when you think about this tournament is Iowa's going for its 10th title in a row. No other team had won more than nine NCAA team titles, and that was Yale Golf and USC track back in the 30s and 40s. So that's kind of the overarching storyline is Dan Gable and the Iowa Hawks are trying to win 10 team titles in a row. At the same time, we have Division II wrestlers competing in this tournament. We're going to hit on that. John W. Smith is the outstanding wrestler. And so we're going to talk about John W. and his role in this tournament Iowa State, the team champs, they had some incredible wrestlers. We'll get into their background. And then one of the finalist matches, Royce and KJ. This series is a standalone documentary in itself. And that was uh, one of the premier finals matches. And the way the broadcast started that Saturday night, this was the first match. All right, so let's get into it. 1986, what happened in 1986 the year before? So the NCAA's prior, Gable and the Hawks won their ninth straight title. 158 points to Oklahoma's 90. I believe Oklahoma had around 90 points in 1986. But Iowa wins it with five champs going away. Underneath the surface, though, there's all kinds of cracks. That summer, Brad Penrith... He gets in trouble, and he ends up being suspended for the first part of the 86-87 season. And once the 86-87 season got started, before Christmas, the Hawks had lost two times in dual meets. 
one to Iowa State, and one to Penn State. So even though Iowa won big in 86, coming into the 86-87 season, by Christmas, cracks are starting to show. But by the end of the 87 season, Gable comes back, beats Iowa State in an epic duel at Carver-Hawkeye. Back then, Iowa and Iowa State wrestled twice in a year. So the first duel of the year, Iowa State beats Iowa. The second duel of the year, Iowa comes back, beats the Cyclones at Carver-Hawkeye, and it capped off a, a really solid second half of the season for Iowa. Iowa had lost two duels before Christmas that year, but after Christmas, they beat number one Oklahoma State and Iowa State at Carver. So that was huge. But in that duel, I was looking at the Iowa-Iowa State duel. There was some weird kind of movement going around. So, for example, Penrith, who was the national champ at 126 the year before, he was up at 134, I believe. Yeah, he was up at 134. He ends up going down to 126 just two months later for the NCAA tournament. Iowa had some injuries as well. Greg Greg Randall, who was a three-time All-American, he had a lot of he was injured that year. I wrote down a few other notes, but this 86-87 season for Iowa was one of the hardest that Dan Gable had ever coached. Now here's a few things I wrote down. Yeah, so Iowa beat Iowa State 18 to 15 in one of the last duels of the year. At that point, Iowa was still undefeated at Carver-Hawkeye. Carver-Hawkeye Arena was just four and a half years old, and the Hawks were still 40-0. and or The Hawks were still undefeated. They were 40-0 and at Carver-Hawkeye. Their losses to Iowa State happened at Ames. That season, 86-87, was the season where Iowa wore the Roman numeral X on their singlet. So they were going for 10 titles in a row, first team to ever do it in any sport, and to signify that, Gable stitched the Roman numeral X. It was a gold X on the leg of the Iowa singlet. There are some magnificent quotes about that. I'll grab them in just a second here. But there was a Sports Illustrated article. And the quotes on this whole singlet situation are awesome. All right, so Iowa had some drama that season. As I mentioned, Penrith, who is the defending national champ from 86, he gets in trouble that summer and then is suspended for the first half of the season. There's also this legendary basketball fight. So the wrestling team got into a fight with the basketball team that winter, winter of 86-87. And so just in general, and I wrote on I wrote on the card, can't get into all of it. Like We're going to do a breakdown on the 87 NCAA tournament, and we're going to get to it. I'm just laying the foundation. I'm telling you, folks, there is so much going on just with Iowa and Iowa State, just with Iowa that we can't get into it during this episode, but I just want to set the foundation that Iowa, even though they're winning, they had lost two straight to Iowa State. They won the last duel of the year against Iowa State. Going into the NCAA tournament, though, everyone's thinking they're going to win. So at the Big Tens, so the conference tournament weekend, Big Tens, Iowa completely rolls. I don't even think it's close. No, it wasn't close. Wisconsin was second. Iowa had six champs. At this time, there's no Penn State in the Big Ten. I was wondering to see how that ended up because Penn State was one of the teams that beat Iowa that year. But no Penn State in the Big Ten. So Iowa wins its 10th Big Ten title under Gable. Keep in mind, folks, Dan Gable never lost a Big Ten championships, which is still a crazy thing to think about. 
out in the West at the Big 8 tournament, Iowa State and Oklahoma State actually tied the exact same point total. Crazy to see it. I don't know how it ended up, but Iowa State had four champs and Oklahoma State had three. So maybe there was a tiebreaker and Iowa State won. I'm pretty sure Iowa State did win that Big 8. But they had the exact same point total, which was which was very bizarre. I you know doing the research on the Smiths, I don't remember this in detail, but I read an article that said at one point during that 86-87 season, Oklahoma State was ranked number one in the country. I don't remember that vividly from the research of the Smiths, so I took a look at Oklahoma State's lineup that year. Definitely had some good guys. Not not a team that you would think would win it, but could have. And they did get a team t- a team trophy. So they had Corey Bays, Kendall Cross at 126, John W. And I'm not going to go through their whole lineup here, but a couple other guys that stand out to me is Chris Barnes, and a young Chris Barnes was in their lineup, future NCAA champ. They had Vince Silva, who was in the lineup, who'd go on to be an All-American. Big Cat Tom Erickson, a heavyweight, Illinois legend. He was the number one seed going into the NCAA tournament. So Oklahoma State's starting to rebuild. And remember, they're being coached by Joe C. at this time. So they're under a huge transitionary phase. But in the preceding years, would go on to win a couple NCAA team titles. But that's what's going on at the Big 8. Iowa State, I believe, beats Oklahoma State uh, just based on the criteria of how many champs they had. And then I wanted to look at this because Arizona State wins the NCAAs in 1988. Yeah, Arizona State wins in 88. Okay, so that's, to my understanding, the last time a big, or excuse me, a Pac-10, Pac-12 team won the NCAA tournament. So in 1987, Arizona State did win the Pac-10s. They ended up taking ninth at the national tournament that year, and they had three All-Americans. So nothing nothing crazy to write home about, nothing that would foreshadow that they would win the NCAA tournament next year. But... Wanted to see what was going on at the conference tournaments in 1987. So let's get to the NCAA tournament. So this 1987 Nationals, because I was going for its 10th, tons of media coverage. ESPN was there. They did a, a very detailed broadcast for the finals. And I just kind of want to go through, go through some. We're going to go weight by weight, but go through some of the highlights here. Okay, so... If we if we go weight by weight, one eighteen absolutely loaded at the nineteen eighty seven NCAA tournament. We're gonna go through the team race, the team rate, but let's just go in weight order. But the team race guys was absolutely insane that year. But if we go in weight order, just to start one eighteen, Ricky Bonomo from Bloomsburg, folks. Three-time NCAA champ. And like I said, 118 was just insanely loaded. So Ricky was a three-time NCAA champ. He wins in the finals. He beats Jim Martin from Penn State. Jim Martin, four-time All-American for Penn State, is a doctor now. I wrote, I need to have him on the show. He was a three-time Pennsylvania State champ, 126-0 his last three years in high school. So at the time in 87, he's a sophomore, gets second to Ricky Bonomo. Third place, my man Tim Wright. So this is one of the storylines I wanted to talk about. So Tim Wright, representing SIU Edwardsville, was a Division II wrestler. A week earlier at the D2 Championships, 
Tim Wright had made history by becoming the first wrestler to win four NCAA titles. They were Division II titles, but he won four NCAA titles. He comes to the 1987 NCAA tournament, his first time officially competing. I believe there's a story that he showed up to the 86 NCAAs, maybe didn't make weight, but 87 was the first and only time he actually wrestled at an NCAA tournament that I could find, at least according to the Hall of Fame website. And Tim Wright, folks, as a Division II wrestler, puts on an absolute show. First round, 14-3 win. Second round, text Jack Griffin, future NCAA champ. In the quarters, loses a tight one to Jimmy Martin. But then on the backside, wins 8-3 in the blood round. 13-2 in the following round. Beats Jack Kuvo 13-4 to get into the third place bout. And then pins his guy for third and fourth. And Jack Kuvo, folks, was a name I was always familiar with. Didn't know a lot about him. Absolute stud. In college, he was an NCAA champ in 88 and 89. So the following two years, he wins this weight class. He finishes his college career 73-0 in duels with 164 wins. Tim Wright, a Division II wrestler, beats him 13-4. to and keep in mind, Kuvo only lost in this tournament to Ricky Bonomo, 9-6. So, Kuvo is on the level. Absolute stud. Tim Wright beats him 13-4 to before he pins Dave Rowan from Edinburgh for third and fourth. So, Tim Wright, the reason this is near and dear to my heart, folks, is that Tim Wright went to the same high school as my older brother, grew up in the same area, legendary name for the Rock Island Rocks, and four-time NCAA champ. For SIU Edwardsville. During that time, they won three team titles as well. So moving up to 126, this is probably the most filmed. Uh, the finals in this at this weight class is probably the most filmed moment in a wrestling match that I can remember. It's definitely the most iconic wrestling match in an NCAA finals in terms of the implications. So. We're just going to focus on the finals at 126. There are a few storylines. Um, like, for example, in the first round. So, number one seed at 126, Brad Penrith from Iowa. Defending national champ at this weight class. But had some problems that year. He's kind of figured himself out. Had a had an issue that summer and then was suspended. In the Iowa State duel, he's up at 134. Cuts down to 126. And I would like to know the story behind all that. I think it's that Greg Randall got injured. And he had to go up. But either way, again, that's a whole nother, whole nother episode. At 126, Brad Penrith, the number one seed, first round, wrestles Kendall Cross, future Olympic champion, loses 10-9. to Kendall Cross, unseeded, just a young pup for Oklahoma State, loses to Brad Penrith 10-9 to in the first round. So Penrith survives the scare. He's probably a little, little tight from the cut. Probably is a horrendous cut for him. So early morning, and you know, keep in mind, 87, maybe they win in the night before, so that's not as relevant. But I'm just seeing this 10-9 against Kendall Cross. looks interesting. Penrith then goes on to win 13-4, 13-9, to 15-6 to advance to the finals as the number one seed. On the bottom side, Bill Kelly, number two seed, rolls all the way to the semis, a pin, a pin, and then in the semis he has... Or excuse me, the quarters, he has Ken Chertow, 
absolute legend, Hall of Famer in his own right. Bill Kelly beats Chair Tau in overtime. You know, the score in the bracket is they were tied 4-4, and then he wins 2-1 in overtime. I can't remember the exact overtime rules for this tournament, but Bill Kelly beats Ken Chertow in OT and then advances to the finals via a 4-3 win over a wrestler from North Carolina State, Mark Sedano. So that's the, the stage is set. Again, this is one of the most important NCAA finals, even to this day, because here's what happens. In the finals, Iowa had three finalists, Iowa State, had, excuse me, Iowa had four finalists. Iowa State had five. I believe Iowa had to win all, if not four of the five, excuse me, all, if not three of the four of their finalists to win the NCAA title because Iowa State going into the finals was up and Iowa State, or excuse me, Iowa basically had to run the table. So the way it happened was they started with and this is an article I read. I could be wrong, but the article said that they started with KJ and Royce. KJ, or excuse me, Royce wins, and so now it's up to Brad Penrith to beat Billy Kelly, right? Okay, so in the finals, Penrith is leading 3-2 to two on Bill Kelly with 30 seconds to go. If Penrith loses this match, Iowa's chances of winning 10 straight team titles are out the window. He's winning, though, and he's the defending champ, but then he shoots an outside single. Bill Kelly steps over the top, hits a splatle, pins Brad Penrith, runs, jumps into the crowd, or excuse me, jumps into his coach's arms, Jim Gibbons, ends Iowa's streak, and Iowa State wraps up the team title. And this this is a good moment to pause on just the incredible season that Iowa State had. Okay, so... With that pin, Bill Kelly gives Iowa State its first team title since 1977. So it's been a decade. Jim Gibbons is the head coach. He's 27. Comes from the famous Gibbons wrestling family of Iowa. And keep in mind, folks, during 1982 through 1985, Iowa destroyed Iowa State 8-0 in duels. Since Jim Gibbons had taken over, they had taken two duels off Gable and were threatening. 86, they they beat him in the duel, but collapsed at the NCAA tournament. 87, they put five in the finals. Bill Kelly pins Brad Penrith, gives Iowa State its first team title. The Dan Gable era, the first era ends. I always call it the first wave because Gable and Iowa are not going to win again until 1991. So 87, 88, 89, 90. Yeah, it's four years without Iowa winning an NCAA team title. This is the beginning of it. But the finals are just... just We're just getting started here, folks. We're only two weights in. But that's a big one. And you can go, you can YouTube that. Bill Kelly pinning Brad Penrith. It's actually... It's crazy because Penrith makes the finals the next year, but loses to Martin from Penn State. So Penrith never wins another NCAA title. Bill Kelly's a one-time All-American Illinois guy, represent one-time All-American, and that was his senior year. So he goes out with a bang. Moving up to 134, I just a smile comes to my face because we're talking about the great John Smith. This is his first NCAA title, 1987, but he wins it in dominant fashion. He's the outstanding wrestler. And let's take a little step back on John W. Smith. So 
His first year at the NCAA tournament, 1984, redshirt freshman, goes in as a three seed, loses. His guy loses, does not place. It's a crushing moment for him. The following year, makes it all the way to the finals, loses to Jim, to Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan from Wisconsin, stud, animal, NCAA champ, beats John Smith in the finals. And that was at Oklahoma, if I'm not mistaken, 1985. So then John John Smith redshirts. I'm thinking of a couple storylines here, folks. I'm thinking of the coaching change. So Oklahoma State also had a coaching change. Keep in mind, after 84, they let go of John Smith's favorite coach. And it's absolutely embarrassing. I can't think of the name right now. Tommy Chesbrough, excuse me. And they hired Joe C., an outsider from California. He comes in. He's the head coach for 85. 86, John Smith wants to take a red shirt. There's rumors that Joe C. maybe wants to pull him out of red shirt. It doesn't happen. John Smith stays in red shirt. And he, this is when he develops a low single. He goes all in on freestyle. He's drilling every night. He's hitting low singles. He's, he's developing a whole new system of, of, uh, of takedowns. Goes to the Oregon in 86. Doesn't place. Goes to the Goodwill Games later that summer. Beats the same rushing who beat him. Wins the Goodwill Games with Dan Gable in his corner. Three months later, the beginning of the 86-87 season, he's fresh off the Goodwill Games title. He's he's not a national star, but he's definitely a star in wrestling. He's starting to come on the scene. But keep in mind, folks, first match of the 86-87 season, loses to Gil Sanchez from Nebraska, and I believe it was a major. He definitely got turned. And in that dual meet, Oklahoma State's in Nebraska. John Smith, you know, is a hero. He's coming in. His brother-in-law, Mark Perry's coaching against him at Nebraska. So John Smith's sister's in the stands. She's watching her brother John Smith wrestle. Her husband, her fiance at the time, might have been husband, Mark Perry, is in the corner for Nebraska, coaching Gil Sanchez, who majors John Smith. John Smith can't can't stomach the loss. The next day or the day after, <coughs> drives to was the Omaha Open, the UNO Open, the big tournament, the Kaufman Brand Open, the big tournament in Lincoln or Omaha. I think it was Omaha. The big open tournament. Early, we're talking early season, like November. John Smith goes there, seeks out Gil Sanchez, beats him very tight, maybe a point. And that's when I love hearing John Smith talk about this. He realizes that Gil Sanchez is a formidable competitor. John Smith goes on a run during that season, dominates the rest of the way through, beats Gil Sanchez at the Big Eights, and goes into the NCAA tournament, back to back to present time. Here we are, 1987 NCAA tournament. Goes in as the number one seed, pin in the first round, tech in the second, tech in the third, wins 20-9 in the semis, and then in the finals, Gil Sanchez... An amazing wrestler in his own right. Comes from a famous wrestling family from, I believe it was Wyoming. Either Colorado or Wyoming. He's been on the podcast. Love Gil Sanchez. As the number two seed, he wins 16-2. Tech, 11-4. 7-4 in the semis. Then wrestles John W. in the finals. Gets beat 18-4. John Smith wins his first of two NCAA titles. Keep that in mind, folks. John Smith, only a two-time NCAA champ. Goes on to win 18-4. to 
And I think there's some faces in the crowd here. So kind of each bracket, I just looked through the the names, even if they didn't place, picked out some interesting names. So Keith Healy, Keith Healy from Illinois, was the 11th seed at 134. He went on to be one of the most winning coaches in Illinois history. He coached Providence Catholic to six or seven state titles. We also have Dave Zuniga, who would go on to wrestle from Minnesota and battle Tom Brands. He's at Utah State here. Did not know that. I don't know if Utah State dropped the program or what was behind that transfer. Tim Flynn, future coach at West Virginia. He's the five seed for Penn State. So 134, a lot of good action there. And again, I mean, John Smith. We Everyone loves John Smith. And the fact that he got his first NCAA title at this tournament is pretty awesome. All right, let's jump to... Where are we at? Where are we at? 142. So, 142. Interesting way. I did not know a lot about the winner of this weight, Peter Yozo. And just all the more reason we need to get him on the podcast, folks. Peter Yozo from Lehigh goes in as the number one seed. He, he ended up being a three-time All-American for Lehigh. This is his senior year. So he's a two-time All-American going in, the number one seed of the tournament, and he gets it done, runs runs all the way through to the finals, pins Pat Santoro, Pat Santoro, who's the current Lehigh head coach in the finals. I do not know the story of that match, and I did not have a, have time to watch it. I'd like to know what happened there. You don't see a pin in the finals all the time, but you know, again, there's so many sub stories in this tournament, folks, that any one of these could be broken out. You know, for example, Pat Santoro went to Pitt. Peter Yozo's a Lehigh guy. They're both in PA. I'm sure there's a ton of history between between these guys that I don't even know about myself. Pat Santoro was a four-time All-American, two-time NCAA champ, so he won it the next two years. He gets pinned in the finals by Peter Yozo. Another story that's interesting to me personally, Greg Randall an Iowa wrestler. He was the four seed at 142. I know his natural weight was around 134, if not lower, because he he shoulders he um he wrestled John Smith in the dual meet, I believe it was 1985. Oklahoma State went up to Carver Hawkeye and got absolutely manhandled in Iowa. Greg Randall slams John Smith. Actually, I believe John injury defaulted out of the match. And there's there's a there's bad blood to this day over that match. So that's how I know Greg Randall was was lower at different points in his career. But I did read an article that he was injured during this 86-87 season. Maybe he couldn't cut weight with the injury. And these Iowa guys at this time were cutting insane weight. Insane. They had one guy quit the team over a weight cutting issue. So Greg Randall, he he's a three time All American eventually. He's up at one forty two. He's the four seed. Santaro's the three seed. Who was the two seed? Nick Neville from Oklahoma. Don't know. Don't know a lot about, if anything, about Nick. Maybe it's the same family of uh, of great California wrestlers that are wrestling now. But in the finals, Pete Yozo pins Pat Santoro. Third was Mike Cole from Clarion. Four, Lenny Bernsey, North Carolina. All right, one fifty. We're back to Iowa, Iowa State. Tim Krieger from Iowa State. This is another guy where I did not know 
a lot about Tim Krieger, or a lot of these Iowa State guys on this team. But I'm glad I took the time to look them up because these guys are absolute studs. Okay, here's Krieger. So Tim Krieger, at this tournament, he's a sophomore, number one seed. Twice during that year, he beat Jim Heffernan from Iowa, longtime coach at Illinois, former guest on this podcast, daughter Allie, friend of the podcast. So Jim Heffernan is the defending champ from 1986, St. Ed's legend. His brother John is also in this tournament. But twice during that year, the number one seed, Tim Krieger from Iowa State, beat Jim Heffernan. So Krieger's the one seed. Krieger is absolutely insane. I looked at his high school record, 219-9, three-time state champ. I can't verify this, but in an article, and we could easily verify this, but in an article it said he's the only wrestler, one of the only wrestlers to four times be the number one seed at the NCAA tournament. He was a three-time finalist. In this year, 1987, he gets it done. He beats Jim Hevernan in OT to win the title. Other names in this bracket, Jeff Jordan, the famous St. Paris Graham head coach out of Ohio. He loses to Jim Hefferton in the semi 6-3. Comes back for fourth. Vince Silva, a former podcast guest, he takes fifth. He was one of the, uh, so Vince's, I believe I'm thinking about this correctly. Vince was a California guy, was at Cal State Bakersfield. And then when Joe C became the head coach of Oklahoma State, he transferred into Oklahoma State and uh, was one of a few guys who, who stuck through it at Stillwater after transferring from, from California. Okay, 158, Iowa State wins another title. Stuart Carter kind of came out of nowhere. He wins it 6-3 over Ken Hasselrig in the finals. Couple of interesting notes about this weight. John Heffernan, who was unseated, pins Rob Cole, the current Stanford head coach, longtime Cornell coach, in the in the second round. So it would be Thursday night. That had to be just sent the arena into mayhem. John Heffernan pins Rob Cole six forty seven. So that's late in the match. I'd like to know what was happening before that. And then Heffernan goes on to make the semis, loses to Stuart Carter in the semis. Stuart Carter wins this one. 167, this is a, a match that's worthy of a documentary in its own right. Roy Salger versus the great Kevin Jackson. Both have been on the podcast. Kevin Jackson, absolutely one of my favorite people in wrestling to talk to. Would love to have Royce back on at any time. I want to get into this match because this is one of the ones I did watch. All right, here we go. Alger Jackson. So during this season, let me just make sure I'm not missing anything here, folks. Yeah, so during this season, Alger had beaten KJ twice. Beat him in January. And after that match, <laughs> after that match in January, KJ took to the papers to say it was a fluke. He stubbed his toe. Wouldn't happen again. He's a better wrestler than Royce. They actually, um, the wrestling association picks KJ to wrestle in the all-star duel over Royce. So obviously they agreed. And then in the dual meet, Iowa, Iowa State in 
in February. Royce beats KJ, 5-3. And these are like, these are historic matches, and I encourage all of you to go back and watch these because that 1987 duel is on, Iowa, is on uh, YouTube, the full thing. And these are the classic, the classic Iowa-Iowa State matches where Royce is the brawler, he's pushing, he's shoving, he's getting after some scores, but he's pushing and shoving. KJ shooting from space. He's kind of coming into his own a little bit. You remember, he transferred in from, from LSU after they dropped their program, and he said he wanted to go somewhere that would beat Iowa. He hated Iowa, and he hated that they were like bulliers, right? And so they meet in the finals, and this, if I'm reading this correctly, is the first match of the night at 167. To get there, Royce is on a tear. He texts his first-round guy, Major, major, tech. And then KJ, though, has a more difficult route. KJ is the number two seed. He techs, techs, 8-2 to two win in the quarters, then beats Greg Alinsky, who is a four-time All-American, I believe, from Pennsylvania, yeah, from Penn State. Four-time All-American. KJ beats him in OT, and then they advance to the finals. This is one of the most peculiar matches you'll ever watch. There's no commentary for it. So I watched it on YouTube, the whole thing. And I need someone to explain this to me because I do not get what happened. It sounds odd, but let me just explain. So first period, there's some push and shove. And there's there's a lot of hostility in this match. In the crowd, you can see Iowa State fans holding up signs that have the Roman numeral X with a red like line going through it, the slash going through it. Kind of like the no, the no smoking, uh, that red, red bar that used to go through the cigarette packs. That sign is all over the Iowa State section. It's out in Maryland, so it's you know, it's far from Iowa, so probably, probably a good representation from both fans. And and this Alger Jackson match is like the epitome of the two programs. And there's a lot of hatred and bad blood, maybe not hatred, but bad blood between these guys. And this would go on up until the 1992 Olympic Trial Finals, where KJ beats Royce to make the 1992 Olympic team, goes on to win the Olympic gold medal. Royce Alger. You know, during that run, 91, 92, Royce was the world silver medalist in 91. So we're talking about two absolute best of the best in this finals. Royce wins it 10 to 4. But as I'm watching it, here's here's the scoring that I saw. And I'm not the match wasn't scored wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I don't understand the point total because I I wasn't able to see the ref, and I know there was a number of stall calls. And you can see it. Royce is controlling, controlling center mat, but as the, as the match starts, though, KJ strikes first, hits a double from space. He cannot ride Royce at all. There's no riding going on. Royce gets right up. In the second period, and there's a lot more pushing and shoving. Second period, KJ goes down. He gets a reversal. So he's winning 4-1. to one. Royce gets out right away. Third period, Royce goes down, gets a quick escape, 4-3. And then... You know, there is a takedown at the end by Royce. I, I need to understand what happened in this match, and I think at some point I will do a documentary on Royce and KJ because it's just it's so juicy. There's so much going on. But Royce wins 10-4. to The legend has it is that his friends from Iowa City drove a U-Haul moving truck to this tournament to watch Royce. After Royce wins, Gable lets him ride home with his buddies, and they basically have, in the back of this U-Haul truck, a couch, furniture, and they have a party all the way from Maryland back to Iowa City in the back of a moving truck. Cannot verify that story, but I've heard it, and I think there's some truth to it. That's a that's a historic finals. I mean, you're talking about a world silver medalist and a uh, and an Olympic gold medalist. 
77, nine, uh, excuse me, 177, something very, very peculiar happened in this weight. I saw something very peculiar. Chicago State had a wrestler seated five, Reggie Wilson. Someone reach out to me about this. I've never heard of Chicago State having a wrestling team, and I got to know more about this being a Chicagoan. Reggie Wilson, the fifth seed, goes all the way to the semis. And then All-Americans taking a sixth. Someone reach out about that, please. Okay, 177, the number one seed, never heard of this guy before, Daryl Pope, Cal State Bakersfield. He absolutely massacres his way to the finals. Penn, Major, Tech, Penn. And then in the finals, he gets beat by the great Rico Ciparelli. Number two seed, Iowa wrestler. Rico's way to the final, 7-2, to 10-4, 12-3, 3-2 over Dan Mayo from Penn State. Really tough wrestler. I believe Rico's nickname was the Baltimore Butcher. And he would go on to spend some time with John W. training at Oklahoma State. He was, he, you know, I can't tell what his relationship was to Gable, but if you read some of the quotes in the paper, we're going to get to the quotes uh, before this is over. There's a lot of... Uh, you could just sense some tense tension between these Iowa guys and their coach at this time. I don't know what's going on, but Rico wins it at 177. 190. An interesting match. Dave Dean is the first finalist. The father of Gabe and Max Dean. He was and this is why I love this this tournament so much is Dave Dean is one of the first J-Rob trained Minnesota guys that comes onto the scene. Now, it's going to be another 15, 14 years until Minnesota wins a team title. They don't win until 01. But 1987, Dave Dean is one of the few Minnesota guys that didn't quit when J-Rob comes on the scene. Remember, J-Rob was an assistant for Gable. Maybe as equal, if not like 40% responsible for the buildup, you know, a lot of people say it was like 50-50, Gable, J-Rob. J-Rob leaves in 84 over a dispute over the J-Rob intensive wrestling camps. One of the It used to be the Iowa intensive wrestling camps. J-Rob ran it. He got all the, all the cash from it, is my understanding. And there was, a, it was, there was an injury or a, there wasn't a death, but one of the kids got really sick from the training. Um, and no, I'm sorry. When I'm, th- that happened, but I don't think that was the thing that caused J-Rob to leave. What happened was... That injury kind of got the awareness of the school. The school wanted to take over the camp, and J-Rob wasn't willing to give up the camp, so he left. He sat out for a year, then goes to Minnesota, takes over one of the worst teams in the Big Ten, and we all know what he would do there. One of the great coaches of all time, J-Rob, goes on to win three NCAA team titles for Minnesota, but in 1987, Dave Deem is one of his first disciples. He makes it to the finals, Loses to Eric Volker for Iowa State. Another very prominent name from those Iowa State teams that I did not know much about. But Volker would go on to win another title in 1989. And, you know, so two-time national champ we're talking here, folks. That's that's no joke. And during that season, Volker lost to Dave Dean twice. And uh, he ends up beating a 4-3 in the final. I thought it was interesting. So Volker wins in 87, beats Dave Dean. Dave Dean goes on to become the assistant at Michigan State at some point, becomes a high school coach at Michigan, and you know raises two of the best wrestlers of the, of the last 15 years, um, Gabe and Max Dean. 
Volker, the next year, 1988, he loses early on, wins five straight to take third, then in 89, survives two OT matches in the quarters and the semis, and then wins it in the finals. And it's interesting because, you know, these Iowa State guys, I really feel like if you're an Iowa State fan, you feel that as great as it was to win in 87 and beat Iowa and win some of those great dual meets that they beat Iowa in during this time, you got to feel like it was a little bit, a little bit like they didn't realize their full potential because Iowa State has never won a team title since this. So in 88, they get third, 89, they get third. But man, a lot of these guys for Iowa State at this tournament, I feel like they were coming back. Um, So it was just interesting that Iowa State doesn't win again after this 1987 tournament. All right, so that was 190. And then we jumped to heavyweight, you know, rest in peace to the great Carlton Hasselrig, a Division II wrestler from University of Pitt, Johnstown. I love going down a little mini rabbit hole on Carlton. And, folks, you got to realize, when I say a mini rabbit hole, like I, I went 20 minutes on each of these stories, right? There's a whole documentary on Jim Gibbons. There's a whole documentary on Carlton Hasselrig. There's a whole documentary on on that Iowa State team, Um you know, there's so much going on here. I really want to emphasize that. As much research as I typically do for these docs, any of these could be a doc. So Carlton Hasselrig, in 1984, he was a Pennsylvania state champ on a one-man team. He was the only guy on the team. Ten matches, wins the state tournament in 1984. Goes to the University of Pitt-Johnstown, Division Division Two team. First champ in UPJ history, I think in any sport. His coach was Pat Picora, legendary coach. Carlton goes on to win three Division II titles and three Division I titles at heavyweight, becoming the first and only six-time NCAA champ. He would go on to play five seasons in the NFL, even though he never played football in college, which is insane. 1992, he's a pro bowler for the Steelers, and they win a division title. But most importantly, folks, Carlton's remembered... By his last name, it's the Hasselrig rule. Carlton Hasselrig. So the Hasselrig rule, I don't even know if it's an official rule or if it's just folklore, but rumor has it that the powers that be were upset, or not upset, but just, you know, Carlton won three Division I titles and three D2 titles, and I don't think they liked that very much. So the Hasselrig rule said that Division II wrestlers could no longer compete at the Division I tournament. And I know there's probably other Division II wrestlers in this tournament from the 1987 Nationals that I'm missing, and so forgive me, but the two that stuck out to me, Carlton Hasselrig and um, and Tim Wright, obviously. Uh, what's interesting about this weight is Carlton came in as the two seed. The number one seed, Tom, Eric, Tom Erickson, the big cat from Oklahoma State, he pins Tex Majors and then loses 11-6 in the semis to a guy from Edinburgh, Dean Hall. He comes back to take third. I don't think it would have made any difference on the team impact, though. I mean, it would have made some difference. So Oklahoma State took fourth with 85, Penn State 97, Iowa 108, Iowa State 133. Freaking Bloomsburg took fifth at this tournament. That's amazing. Clarion took sixth, North Carolina seventh, Edinburgh eight, ASU 9, 10 Lehigh. So just it's cool to see some of these teams up here. And, uh, you know, kind of the – this was a changing of the time. I'm telling you, folks, 87 – Big changing of the tide. 88, Arizona State wins it. 89, 90, Oklahoma State wins it. And then 91, which is the next tournament we'll do. 91, Iowa comes back with 
a couple of absolute menaces, Tom and Terry brands. Then they introduced the Steiners. Um, and then the one I'm doing after that, we're going to do 1994 because that was a really epic tournament. John W.'s first national coaching title. But as we, as we wrap up this episode, I just want to come back to a couple of things that stick out to me. Dan Gable in Iowa. This is the beginning of the rebuild. I don't know if this, the actual statter, yeah, this is, again, a kind of like a rumor you've always heard, but rumor has it that either in 1987 or 1988, there wasn't one guy from Gable's recruiting class five years earlier that was an All-American or maybe was still on the team. It's one of those two. Either there was no one from that recruiting class that would have been, so 83. So from the 83 recruiting class, there's a rumor that there was either no All-Americans from that class or no, like, maybe it's, yeah, neither no All-Americans or no national champs. Bottom line, Gable wasn't recruiting well. He was falling back on the legacy of Iowa. In 87, it bit him in the butt. 88, he goes, they still get second. It's like Iowa took second, which is like, geez, still in the top, top every year. But, you know, Iowa losing in 87 is definitely the biggest storyline. Gable goes through a rebuilding phase and then comes back in Iowa. You know, Gable, Gable, let's see. I don't think he loses. Does he? Okay, yeah, so he loses in 94, but I don't think Gable loses after 91. So 91 he wins, 92 he wins, 93 he wins, 94 second, 95, 96, 97. So... This is one of the few times that Gable lost at the NCAA tournament. It sends him on a rebuilding phase. The other thing that jumps out is Iowa State haven't won an NCAA title since, and that's you know including the great reign of Bobby Douglas, the great Kale Sanderson, and even Kale Sanderson being head coach, and now Kevin Dresser still looking for it. Oklahoma State, John Smith. John Smith gets ready to go on his run of... Um, of world titles. Actually, he wins. So this tournament took place in March of 87. John Smith wins his first world title later that summer. And I believe it was France, Claire de Montfrance, something like that. I, I can never pronounce uh, this, the name, but somewhere in France. And then he wins the Olympics in 88. So John Smith's a storyline. You know, Penn State taking third here is is kind of random to me. I do not remember that. Now, I do remember... Penn State beating Iowa in the duel, but they're not part of the Big Ten yet, right? So they're not getting as much media coverage. You don't see as much about them online. But I mean, Penn State was was tough. I mean, this they had some really good guys, and Oklahoma State taking fourth is interesting because you know John Smith never wins a team title, but good to see him get a get a team trophy. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, 87, 87 Worlds is after this. You know, I, I think, again, just something that comes back to me is I'm just shocked that Iowa State didn't win it again. Jim Gibbons was only 27. He retires maybe four or five years later and you know, goes on to have one of the great broadcasting careers. He's a broadcaster for the Big Ten. Huge fan of him. He does a great job. Um, and you got to tip your hat to these guys. I mean, to beat Iowa, if you're an Iowa State fan, after getting smashed for all those years, can't even describe probably Iowa State fans you know they're still talking about it some of those old timers so this is this was a great win a historic win the next year I believe 88 was at Ames and so for yeah it was at Ames Iowa I mean that 
88 is a really close nationals. Arizona State wins 93, Iowa 85, Iowa State 83. So they easily could have won the following year. Um, but yeah, so they win it, and they don't. They haven't won again since. And like I said, folks, this this episode was just something I'm trying out. I want to do more of these breakdowns. And so the next one I want to do is 91, 94, 01. And then we could do Olympics too, like the 72 Olympics – one of the most influential Olympic teams of all time. We could do 96 Olympics. We could do shit 2021 Olympics or the, or 2017 world. So there's so many events I want to do these deep dives on. Thanks for sticking with me. This is our first one. So apologies if I bounce around a little bit, you got a idea of how my mind works on some of this stuff. Hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back next week with a new episode with Sean Bormet. In the meantime, folks, enjoy the summer, stay cool, and we'll see you next week on Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!